Glad to see everybody this morning. Um, thanks for coming out for breakfast. I think it's, uh, there's something magical about eating together, and it, it may just be because I love food. It might have nothing to do with you, um, so sorry about that, but that's probably the truth. But either way, I'm glad you were here to eat while I was eating, and uh, so we'll take that. Uh, we're, in, uh, we're still kind of in our identity series, just talking about who we are, um, and over the past few weeks, we've just kind of been tackling just kind of each part of, of kind of our mission statement as to why we've been constructed the way that we are and why we behave the way that we do. And so we talked about from week one, like, we exist to make disciples. And before talking about what that looks like, we wanted to talk about what a disciple is. Next week, we're going to give a little more feet to that. So come back next week, and you're also going to get to do a craft in here next Sunday. I know, I'm punting way outside of my comfort zone next Sunday, and so we're going to do it. But you're going to enjoy it. There'll be pens, there'll be paper, there'll be doodling, all that kind of stuff. So if you like to doodle, next Sunday is for you. Uh, But we talked about making disciples, and then we talked about, you know, kind of the metrics for how we judge if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing is kind of like an identity deal. It's like we're making disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city. And so this week we're talking about this idea of, of love the city. You know, just to kind of preface that a little bit, Jesus kind of, I view them as bookends of his earthly ministry. Like he said one thing when he started and one thing when he left, and then a lot of stuff in between. But when he came and when he entered the scene in Mark, we see him come and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the first thing he said. Um, And then at the very end, he says, therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you through it all. Those were the bookends of his ministry. Everything that he did was contained within those two statements right there. And so he started with repent and believe. That's kind of like our entryway into the ministry that he started. And then he left us with, after I'm gone, now go, make disciples. And so the the issue at hand and the reason that that we want to really, you know, focus in on what we're going to talk about today is the hitch in our giddy-up as the church in the United States, so to speak, has been like this thing that we're going to talk about today. Like... We're good with, even we talked about defining the characteristics of a disciple as a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, on mission with Jesus. We get that directly from how he called his first disciples. Um, we're good with, with following to a degree. We're good with being transformed. But then when it comes to like the mission, the mission that Jesus started, that he set us out on, we're just hesitant and we're, we're timid and, and we're afraid uh, because we you know, whatever it is, whether it's current culture or whether it's just human nature, we just, man, we, we struggle with it. And that's like a confession. Like, we all need to be open. And, and there's just the sense that, like, hey, if we asked for a show of hands, could you share the gospel more? Everybody's hands would go up and be like, yes, I should entirely share the gospel more. Like, we're all in that same boat. But here's the deal. Number one, we're all in the same place. But number two, we've all been given the same mission. If we have, by grace through faith, been redeemed, we've all been given the same mission. Whether you're pastor, deacon, elder, it uh, doesn't matter. We're all ministers of the same new covenant, according to 2 Corinthians. And when I, when I do this, like, my wrist won't bend that much anymore. But, but, like, I mean, we're all servers. Like, we're all carrying this, we're waiters and waitresses. And on this tray is the gospel, like the new covenant, the new deal that is through Jesus and Jesus only. We're all called to carry it. We're all called to speak it. We're all called to live it, every single one of us. Um, I would not be a very good waiter anymore. Uh, maybe this, nope, not very flexible. Either way, that's not important. What is important is that we love the city. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to Mark chapter 12. We're going to start there, and then we're going to jump back to the Old Testament uh, and spend, spend a little more time there. And, and I will tell you, like, love the city stuff, we have a guy that we've hired that this is his job. 
love the city. His name's Zach Larry, but he's going to come up and talk to us uh, a little bit towards the, the, the rear of this. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go through a few things first. So let's pray together, and then we're going to jump in. God, we love you. Thank you. Um, thank you, God, for calling us to more. Thank you for Jesus and the example that we get to see in him. Not only was he that sacrificial lamb that we talked about, but he was also that image, that, that perfect example as to how we should live our lives, how we should love one another, how we should love you, how we should love this world, and how we should sacrificially serve and give of ourselves for your glory and your kingdom. God, today, as we think about the the very DNA of who you have made us to be as this church family called Origins, but also as individuals who are following after you. God, I pray that your spirit would convict us to make us more bold, to make us more uh, ready to speak, to make us more just in this world so that your glory can grow. Um, God, thank you for a mission that's bigger than us. Thank you for a mission that's not powered by us, but is powered by you. Um, But God, thank you for allowing us to go. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We read this text as it appears in Matthew a couple of weeks ago when we talked about kind of that after making disciples, we exist to make disciples who love God. Um, Again, we're going to reread it here, but just in Mark this morning. um, Again, someone asked Jesus. They were like, hey, Jesus, he was a lawyer, and most likely he was trying to catch Jesus, but he was also a bit curious if we compare both texts. And he said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted Old Testament idea. He, he quoted um, the Shema, or Shema Yisrael, the hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love him with everything that you have. And we talked about what that looks like. What does it look like for us to love God? How do we pursue God? How do we display that corporately? But then directly after that, we're going to read through these again. Jesus says in verse 29, he says, The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Last week, we talked about when there is a horizontal speaking of love in the New Testament, we basically have two, two, um, two targets that are presented to us in the New Testament. What we talked about last week was the love one another's, and the love one another is a very specific group of people. The one another's are those who have been redeemed by Jesus. Uh, We are now in the same family, same dad, same savior, same spirit, and we're called to love each other, love one another very conspicuously, very intentionally, uh, very missionally, so that the rest of the world may see it, and, and they'll look to Jesus, and so that's important. But the other target of that horizontal display of love is this, and this has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years before this text was ever spoken by Jesus, and it's just this idea of loving your neighbor. And it's not just loving your neighbor, but Jesus here, he's saying, no, no, you, you love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor the way you would want to be loved. It's almost like a, a reflection of that golden rule kind of an idea, which Jesus also spoke, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But in this case, it's actually speaking about an agape type of love, a God-originated type of love that is not based upon merit, but is based upon source. And he's saying, love your neighbor unconditionally the way that you would like to be loved. And so basically, the the idea here um, is just seek the ultimate good for your neighbor. Seek the ultimate good for your neighbor. And, and then Jesus, you know, qualified these, and he's like, all of the law, it hinges on these two things, how you love God and how you love your neighbor. 
And we, we talked about it briefly, like if you look at the Ten Commandments, like if we look at that as the basis for uh, the Old Testament law that grew into the need for Jesus because we couldn't possibly live it out, uh, the first parts of those Ten Commandments are all about the vertical. You know, the love the Lord your God with everything that you have. You're, you're not going to take his name in vain. You're not going to have other gods before him. You're not going to create idols. You're not going to do those things. But then the rest of the Ten Commandments are about the horizontal display of our love. Like we said, if you love your neighbor, believe it or not, you're not going to murder them. You know, it's hard to do those two things at the same time. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're not going to steal from them. Uh, you're not going to covet what they have. You're not going to lie to them. You're, you're not going to dishonor your parents because they're your neighbors too. You're not going to do these things. So all of the law hinges on these two ideas. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have uh, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and everything in between. And then when you look at your neighbors, be they relational or proximal, either way, you love them the way that you would desire to be loved. And Jesus is like, all the law. If you do these two things, the rest of the law is going to take care of itself. Paul even reiterated this in Romans, uh, and he's saying basically the same thing. He's like, look, if, you know, if we're doing this, then you know, it, it, these ways that we love our neighbors according to you know, the, the Ten Commandments, they're going to be taken care of. And so that's, that's the call, to love our neighbors. And so for us, like, I think we do have to ask a couple questions, because this is, and we even see this ask of Jesus at one point. Jesus kind of tossed that out there at one point, and one guy that was with him in another instance said, well, who is my neighbor? Because that's, that's what we want to look at. We want to look at those loopholes. We're like, okay, you're telling me to love my neighbor as myself, but, but who exactly is my neighbor? You know, he was looking for a way out because this guy was very Jewish and he didn't want to love Gentiles. And so Jesus actually gave a very extreme example in a parable. And he was like, you're asking the wrong question, by the way. You shouldn't be trying to figure out who your neighbor is, but you should just be figuring out how you're loving people. But either way, we're not going to jump into that today. But basically, we just kind of want to look really quickly before we, we jump back to Jeremiah of like, who is our neighbor? Let's, let's be very simple here. A neighbor is anyone that we have relational connection to or proximal connection to. Relational connection means somebody that we know. They are around us relationally. We talk to them. We know them. And, and we're thinking about the, the, the outside of the one another's. Like, the one another's do fit into this category, but we're looking beyond that today. Like, maybe it's your literal neighbor across the street. You know, they live across from you, but you also know them. Like, love them as you love yourself. Love them as the way in which you would desire to be loved. The person that sits in the cubicle next to you, they're your neighbor. You know, the, 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 the mom and dad that sit beside you when you're at baseball practice with your kids, they're your neighbor. You know, the, the other parents in PTA, if you serve in PTA, which we'll, we'll say that you probably should, but man, I have not. But, you know, maybe, maybe those other parents, maybe they're your neighbors. Your coworkers, maybe your employees, they're all your neighbors. They're people that we come in contact with, we either rub shoulders with or we exchange words with. Either way, those are our neighbors. And Jesus is just like, you love them as you would desire to be loved. Seek their ultimate good. Love them. And so for us, like, we, we have to look at this from two perspectives. Number one, we want to look at this from the individual Christ follower perspective. And so as an individual Christ follower, like, you need to know, like, who are my neighbors? Pretty much, to be honest, everybody, they're all your neighbors. If you see them, like, let me just go ahead and throw this out there. If you see them, they're probably your neighbors. In the very loosest sense of the word, they're your neighbors. And guess what? We are supposed to love them as we desire to be loved, seeking their ultimate good, finding opportunities to display their ultimate good, seeking and, and going after, making sure they can experience ultimate good. We're going to get to that in just a second. So from an individual Christ follower perspective, if you see them more than once, I'll even give you a little bit of way out right there. If you see them more than once, they're your neighbor. 
Love them as you would desire to be loved, individual. But as corporately, as, as a church, family, like not as a building, not as a structure, but as a family called out by Jesus to live out the gospel in this city, we have to ask the question, like, what does this mean for us as Origins Greenville? And for us corporately, we're going to say this, like 29601, this zip code, this downtown, this is who this is for us. And we call it, like if you've been through our membership class last week or the week before where all the shoes were, um, if you were in our house, you understood there were a lot of shoes at the front door, and it was a great, great image. Um, but like 29601, the stingray of accountability is what we call it, because 29601 is kind of shaped like a stingray without a tail. Like for us as a church, these are our neighbors, and these are the people that God's called us to love, to seek ultimate good for, to seek their ultimate good. And I'll go ahead and give it away what the ultimate good is. The ultimate good for our neighbors is the same ultimate good as it is for us. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so we do everything we can to show them, speak to them, reveal to them their need for the ultimate good, that is Jesus. And sometimes that means that we repair steps, literally and figuratively. Sometimes that means that, that we may give them a gift so that we can start a conversation. Sometimes that means that we serve them in very menial tasks so that we may have a conversation. We talked about last week, there's no way that we will ever outgrow the identity of servant. Like, it won't happen, especially as, it, as, it, as it's about this. Like, when it comes to loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, sometimes the only way that we'll ever have a conversation with someone is if we meet their physical needs first and repeatedly and over and over and over until we can have a conversation, as long as the goal and the intent is to get to a conversation. Because believe it or not, I hate the billboard that says, share the gospel, use words if necessary. Believe it or not, we cannot share the gospel without words. You can't. Why? Because the gospel is a story about a God who came, left where he was, put on skin, dwelt among us, died for us because we couldn't fix ourselves. The gospel is made up of words. It must be shared. But sometimes in order to redeem, uh, in order to reveal that ultimate good, we have to do a lot of things first. And so we look for those. So as an individual, you're looking for, for who your neighbor is. To be honest, if, if you can see them, there, that's probably them. Figure out ways. Be intentional. Find, find ways to, to seek their ultimate good. For us as a church, we have to, we have to be a bit um, man-strategic. And so for us, we, we look at our city, and to be honest, like our carrying capacity as Origins Greenville is likely 250 people, um, and that'll be our, our, our max size before we divide, split, and plant somewhere else in this city or outside of this city. Um, lately, we've been running about 150 to 175. Uh, we can't possibly care for all of 29601. Like, we can't. Uh, as of next year, they're guesstimating that uh, 29601, there'll be about 78,000 people living in 29601. In 2000, the year 2000, it was like 58,000 people. So in the past 23 years, it's grown by 35%. That's massive. Like if you don't study cities and infrastructures, uh, you, you need to understand that's huge. 35% growth in a city that cannot expand its boundaries because we have anti-annexation rules in Greenville. So anyway, we won't get into that, and we don't need to talk, about, talk to Mayor Knox White about that, but if you want to, you can. But either way, 35% growth, 35% growth in 23 years. That's huge. People are moving here from all over the place. So guess what we gain every year? New neighbors. New neighbors. And so as a church family, we kind of have to ask from an intentional standpoint, like where can we do the most good. And for us, Zach's going to talk about some of those ways in just a bit, but for us, we, we have to be strategic. Uh, we want to make sure that we take advantage of every opportunity we have, but we have to be strategic. 
Here's an understanding that we need to have when we're thinking about loving our neighbors well in this place where we are. Um, we just wrapped up with Philippians. And so there's a theme that kind of pops out in Philippians over and over and over, and it's, it's this idea right here. This is not our home. This is not our home. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you've ever felt the disconnect, but like one thing that COVID taught me more than, more than anything else is, is just this idea that this is not my home. Like I am here for now, and, and I'm here for purpose, but this is not my ultimate destination. It was very clear to me during COVID, and I can't even point to all the reasons why, but it, just, it was just abundantly clear, like, not my kingdom. Philippians utters that over and over and over. First Peter utters that over and over, like, uh, we are not, this is not our home. We have been plucked from here as people of this world, and we have been placed in the kingdom of God, and we've been left here for a while. And so what that defines us as, according to the Old Testament and the New Testament, is we're something called exiles. We're exiles which means that we're dwelling in a place that is not our home. We have been sent somewhere or left somewhere that's not our ultimate destination. We are exiles. Now, I do want to make sure that we understand uh, what we're not saying when I say that we're exiles. We're not saying that we're refugees. We're not saying that we're under persecution. We're not saying any of those things. But I'm just saying that as people of God, redeemed by Jesus, this is not our home, but this is where we live. This is not our home, but this is where we live. If you'll turn back with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. From a missional perspective, like I think this lays a great framework for us as to what this looks like and how we, how we go about reconciling these two ideas, that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, seek their ultimate good, but also we're doing it as people that aren't from here, that don't belong here. Because whether you know it or not, at some point, someday, like if you have been redeemed by grace through faith, like this is not going to be your home. And it's not. Like we're supposed to be with God uh, for eternity. New heaven, new earth, all things are going to be made right. We talked about it when we celebrated um, communion last week, that we look back at what Christ has done, but we look forward at the fact, to the fact that he's coming back and he's going to make all of this stuff that, that hinders us and holds us back and tempts us and points us towards sin. He's going to wipe all of that away, all the sickness, all the screaming, all the crying. It's going to be done. That's going to be our home for eternity. But in the meantime, we're living as exiles here. In Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Israel. The people of Israel at this point had come under judgment again. Um, because they had left the way of the one true God. God had said, look, I'm going to make a deal with you. Here's the deal. I will be your God. You will be my people. You keep my commandments. That was it. And, but as a result of their humanity and as a result of them being willing to look away and pursue other things, uh, they did. They entered into the religions and, and the idolatry of the people that were around them. And over and over, the story of the Old Testament is God had to discipline them. And in some points, the way that God disciplined them, he's like, look, I'm going to give you over into the hands of the people whose gods you've been worshiping. So you, you want their gods? Okay, here you go. We're, we're going to learn a lesson. And so at this point in Jeremiah chapter 29, there were a large group of, of Israelites that had been plucked from their home. They had been plucked from their home, and they were living in a place called Babylon. And not the metaphorical Babylon, but like the literal Babylon. That's where they were living, living under the, the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and if you're in our kids' area back there, that's King Nebi, because it's hard for kids to say Nebuchadnezzar. But, so if you ever teach back there, it's King Nebi. And we've probably got songs to go with that. I don't know, and hand motions. But either way, that's where they are. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1, let me read this. It won't be on the screen. 
It says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so Jeremiah is writing them a letter. It comes from God to them, and he's about to give them instructions. Instructions to the exiles. This is vital for us. They're living in a very, in, two, in some ways, very similar to, to how we're living. In some ways, very dissimilar. Number one, they were being persecuted, okay? They had the chance to die for who they were, okay? They had literally been kidnapped. That's not us. Uh, by the redemptive power of Jesus, we have been plucked from where we came from, and now we have been placed in this kingdom of God. And so we are exiles, they are exiles, but we're not living under the same scrutiny that they are. But here's, here's the instruction to the exiles from God through Jeremiah, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here we go. First, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Exiles in a place they didn't belong, in a place that was not theirs, and they basically probably, up until this, they had a choice. Like, we're being persecuted by these people. We have been kidnapped by these people. We have been plucked from the place that we call home. We just want to survive. We just want to survive. We want to keep our heads down, do our time, and get out. But God, through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, nope, it's not what I want for you. Not what I want for you. He looked at them and he said, look, build houses, live in them. Get married. Have kids. Raise them to where they get married. They have kids. Plant gardens. Eat of the produce. Do all of those things. Do not decrease, but increase. And then he tells them something else. He says, seek the welfare of the city. That word there in Hebrew is the word shalom. Shalom. And most of the time it's translated as just simply peace, but there's so much more to it in the Old Testament. Number one, it's God-given. Okay, it's not the peace that we can acquire by signing a treaty. It's not the peace that we can acquire just by laying down weapons. But the implications of this, this peace that only God offers is wholeness, completeness, health, safety, harmony, prosperity, all of those things. And so he looks at these people who have been kidnapped from where they are in a place of occupation, and he says, look, I want you to put down roots. Deep, deep roots. How deep? This deep. You're going to get married in the house that you built. Uh, you're going to plant a garden. You're going to be there long enough to eat of its produce. You're going to have kids. You're going to watch them grow up. You're going to see them get married. You're going to have grandkids, and you're going to put down deep, deep roots. Roots. How deep in this particular instance, uh, God even told them, in 70 years, he said, in 70 years, I'll bring you out. 70 years. But until such time, here's what you do. Put down deep roots. And the point of those roots, roots is the shalom, the peace that only God offers for the city in which you live. Man, that's us. 
that has to be us. Like, we can do a couple things. Like, we can live in exiles in one of two ways, and they had the exact same choice. We can live as exiles, and we can be upset that the culture thinks differently than we do. Okay? We can be that. Like, we can be those, those us-against-them Christians, those Christ followers that were like, look, uh, I need this to change in the government, I need this to change in the schools, and until it does, I'm going to sit here with my arms crossed, and I'm going to be an angry Christian. The problem is, we're not called to be angry, we're called to be joyful. The other problem is, we're not called to be against the culture, we're actually called to be for the culture. It doesn't mean that we agree with them, but we want the ultimate good for them. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means that we can't sit back with our arms crossed and be ticked off every time that they do something that we disagree with. It doesn't work. In multisyllabic phrases, they are diametrically opposed. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. It can't work. So we can choose to be those angry, separated believers who we say the government is against us, the culture is against us, they vote different than us, they think different than us, their morality is different than us, and we can be angry about it. Or we can confess all of those things and admit that we're living in a world that is not our own, but we are living in the world that is not our own so that they can know Jesus. The whole reason that Jesus doesn't redeem us and then snatch us out is because there was a mission that existed before our redemption. Before I was redeemed and saved by grace, there was a mission that was already here. And he says, I'm going to save you and leave you so that the mission can continue. And that means that we can't be Christian curmudgeons. It means that we, we can't be so upset that people are different from us that we don't speak the love of Jesus to them. It means that we put down roots as long as we're here that are as deep as they can possibly go. And the point of those roots is to seek the shalom, the completeness, the wholeness, the prosperity, the goodness of the city that we live, of the place that we are. We seek it. And then he says something else. Not only seek the welfare, seek the shalom, he says pray for it on their behalf. So work for it. Like when the first part is seek the shalom, that means work for it. Put forth effort. Do everything that you can to seek the wholeness, the completeness, the health, the safety, the harmony, the prosperity, the ultimate good for the city where you are. Do all of that. And then second to that, and then seek me for it. Pray for it. So we go after it with effort, we go after it with intentionality, and then we go after it seeking for, from God for them. Those who think different than us, those who act different than us, those who don't live in the same kingdom that we do, but do live in the same city that we do, or the same neighborhood, or the same workplace, or the same ball field, whatever it may be. If you can see them, they are your neighbor. Seek the welfare. Verse 7, I want to read it again. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. Man, the beauty of this is if we're trusting Jesus to be our Lord, we've also trusted that where we are is where he wants us. Maybe you've never thought of that. If you're trusting that Jesus is your Lord, that he has your eternity, then he also has your immediate. That means that where you are is where he wants you to be. It's a biblical idea of sovereignty. 
Like we're trusting that. Does that mean that he, he won't move us? No, it doesn't mean that. But here's your first point. You are where you are. I didn't leave any words out. That's exactly what I meant to say. You are where you are. And I think if we're trusting God, if we're living and seeking Jesus as our Lord, we have to understand that the subtext of that is we are where God wants us to be. We are where God wants us to be. So in thinking that, here's the first thing. Stop living for the next. Stop living for the next. That means we, we're constantly thinking about, God, where am I going to go next? What's the next job? What's the next city? What's the next house? All of those things. Because when we're thinking about the next, we miss the now. When we're so concerned with what's waiting, we, we forget that, that we're in this place right now. We forget that the, the beautiful words that appear twice in this text in Jeremiah is you're in exile in the place that I sent you. I sent you, trusting God with our eternity, trusting God with our immediate, understanding that he has placed us exactly where he wants us to be so that we may be used for his glory in this place, in this time, for the people that are around us. Seeking their ultimate good. He says it over and over. Uh, Build your houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons, daughters, multiply there, do not decrease, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Trust the Lord with your eternity, trust the God with the immediate, and trust that you are where he wants you to be. And don't waste it. Don't waste it. Let's be honest. In, in the course of the existence of almost 14 years of origins, we've had people most of the time, up until the past two years, we've had people for about 16 months on average. 16 months has been the lifespan. Not that they've been here and then gone to another faith family. They've gone to another city, like Florida. Gosh, Florida takes some of our best people. I'm so tired of Florida. Nobody really wants to live there. There's no seasons. No seasons. Wow, I love to fish there. That's great. And Disney World, yeah, it's fun. But hey, nobody wants to live there. Stop moving to Florida. You may move there in six months. I don't know. But in the meantime, you are where you are. Charlotte. Charlotte's taking people. Why? Charlotte? No. Nobody wants to go to Charlotte. Not even for basketball. So just like you are exactly where you are. Trust God with where you are now. Before I got married, I was... Uh, I was kind of in between school and in between marriage, and I, I took a job at a gym here in town, and I won't talk about which gym because people might know who I'm talking about, but I worked there, and about two months in, I remember driving home, and I was just like, God, why in the world am I here? I call it the gym of iniquity. You know, it kind of, it's kind of like the den of iniquity. Like, I was, I was waiting to get into Bible college, transferring out of Clemson, and so, like, I knew that I was ministry-bound, didn't know what that was, uh, and I knew that I, I had something to give God so that God could use me greatly. Like, that was my interpretation. And I'm working at this gym just to make ends meet because the gym world's something that I know. I worked in it for 20 years. And so, but every night for a while, I would drive home. I'm like, God, why am I working here? This place is no good for me. No good for me. I mean, I heard words in that place. I mean, it was like they were all sailors, and they had a huge vocabulary, um, huge vocabulary, and no, no good words. And, like, I would hear it, like, during the day. Like, I would just hear it. They would say it with clients. They're like, this is so unprofessional and so embarrassing. God, why am I here? This is not doing anything for me, nothing for me. And there's been, like, three or four occurrences in which I've heard God's voice in my life. And on the way home one night, I was driving home, and he was like, maybe you're not there for you. And I wasn't. I started staying late, hanging out with one employee, answering questions. 
And at one point, like just things like propelled and swelled. And one night, the owner's wife, who he was the chief of the den of iniquity, the owner's wife came to me and she said, I want to buy him a, a Bible. And I'm like, really? She was like, yeah. And so I went and, and helped her pick out a Bible that I thought he could read and would understand. Not that he couldn't read. That's, that's not what that meant. And I remember standing in the parking lot with him like three months later. And he used an explicative um, in saying this, but he was like, man, that Bible that you picked out is awesome. Just because I wasn't there for me. And I was so frustrated and I was so upset that I was surrounded by sinners that I forgot I was supposed to be. That I was exactly where God wanted me to be in that time, in that place. If we trust God with our eternity, we have to trust God with our immediate. And we're exactly where he wants us to be. And sometimes it's not for you. What does it look like for us to seek the shalom of our city? I think, number one, we have to realize what that is. The shalom has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus. It's not about changing policy. Uh, it's, not about, it's not about changing product. It's, it's about Jesus. And we have to intentionally pray that God will provide opportunities for us to reveal Jesus. We have to pray that God will provide the boldness for us to reveal Jesus. We have to pray that God would just provide Jesus for those around us. So seek the welfare, work towards it, but pray that God would do it. Pray that God would do it. Accept that the ultimate good, it is Jesus. He's not about moral change. Um, he's not about changing the way that people vote. That's not his deal. He wants to change people's eternity. And his plan A for doing that is through our mouths. Because faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. And we're the ones who get to speak it. We have to do it. And then I think we have to do this. I think we have to look. Like on an individual basis, you have to look at where you are and say, where can I invest to do the most good, to have the chance at sharing with people the ultimate good? That may be PTA, because we all know that God is definitely needed in PTA. Oof, way more Jesus is needed there. It could be your kid's sports team. Imagine coaching Little League for a minute, like if you're gifted in that area. I'm not. But imagine coaching, coaching Little League, the influence that you can have on young boys if you're a guy. Think back, guys that played sports, you can remember all your coaches' names. You can remember every one. You can remember the rousing speeches or the indictments that they threw at you when you did something dumb. You can remember the punishment that they gave you when you did a back handspring after you had won a wrestling match, hypothetically, in front of a lot of people. You can remember how many miles you ran in wrestling shoes after that and how bad your shins hurt for weeks because you were stupid. You can remember all of those things. Imagine for a moment if you sought the ultimate good of those kid, for those kids and their parents. Imagine what Jesus could do in an HOA. Nobody likes HOAs. We don't have one. Praise Jesus right now. Thank you, Lord. We are exactly where you want us to be. No HOA. But maybe you do have an HOA. What would happen if Jesus was involved in your HOA? What would, happen, mm, what would happen if you did get involved in city government, town council, city council? What would happen? 
What would happen if you were a teacher? Or if you are a teacher and you seek the ultimate good for your students? If you're an employer and you seek the ultimate good for your employees? What would happen if Jesus invades all those spaces in which we're surrounded by our neighbors? The kingdom would grow. God's name would be great. Those 78,000 people that are living in 29601 would have a better opportunity to hear and respond to Jesus and hear about and experience ultimate good. That's what we're called to do. And as a church family, like we have to be intentional to make sure that our goal is not just this. This is fun. Like, I love Sundays. I really do. That was another lesson from COVID. I love Sundays. They wear me out. I mean, they tap out everything that I've got, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love them. But this is not it. This is great. This is a part of it, but it's not it. What matters is what we do when, when we leave this building that's not even ours. What we do during the week, the conversations that we have with our neighbors, our coworkers, our kids, you know, those people. The guy that's yelling at the umpire on Tuesday night at your kid's baseball game. Those conversations. On an individual basis, that's what matters. On a corporate basis, it matters how we engage our city. Because we can't just be just about Sundays and just about community groups. We have to have those. We love God. We love one another. But then we love the city. And this is what we hired Zach for. So Zach's going to come up and share a little bit about just kind of some of the, some of the ways in which we do that. And, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. Like, before he comes up, he's super kind. You can go ahead. You can go ahead and make your way up. That gives me a, a time limit on how much I can say. Listen to the ways that we engage our city and get involved. If you call this your home, this, this family your home, uh, then yes, you, you do come on Sundays and make every effort to be here. Yes, you do jump into a community group and make every effort to be there. But what we do, what Zach facilitates, what we do to love this stingray of accountability to make sure that we have the best opportunity to share the gospel with people across our city, it takes more than just Zach. We didn't hire him to do it all. We didn't hire him to recruit three people. We hired him to equip and enable an entire church family. And so we need you. The city needs you, and it's part of this faith family. Like, this is what we do. This is who we are. We exist to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love our city. Amen. We could probably end with that, and I'm, I'm already fired up, ready to go. Um, yeah, I think what, you know, what Matthew was saying uh, it got me thinking, uh, you know, I know I don't, I don't live downtown specifically. I know probably the majority of us don't live downtown. We live maybe 10 minutes out, 15 minutes out, 20 minutes out. Um, and there are probably quite a few churches on the way here that you can see um, coming into downtown that you could be a part of in different church families. But yet, for uh, whatever reason, God in his ways has brought all of us together um, as a church family in 29601 right down downtown Greenville. He has us here for a reason. And uh, man, that's not by mistake. We're here for the people of the city. And uh, man, they're really just, they are our mission. They are our purpose. Um, our goal is not to uh, 
just be a, a salesperson to uh, just go and, you know, throw the gospel and say, all right, check that off the, the list. We did it. Uh, but man, the people are our mission. And when the people become our mission, everything changes. Um, I'll, give, I'll give an example. So Legacy K4, one of our partnerships, um, uh, our volunteers are there throughout each month serving classrooms, um, not just the teachers, but um, now uh, trust has been built to where we can hop in there any day during the week and just catch up with the staff, see how uh, not just the teachers are doing, but other staff people, like one of the security guards, Michael. And uh, each time I go in there, he gets to catch me up with how his dad is doing. His dad is um, struggling with uh, prostate cancer, and uh, um, they don't really know what the ne next few months look like. And so he is, uh, man, he's just, he's a mess. And I understand that. And because he's a mess, I'm a mess. And I feel for him. And so I get to sit down there with him, and I get to pray, and I get to um, see how his dad is doing, and, you know, talk about, you know, how well, him and his daughter and his, his spouse are, um, you know, doing in life and things that they like to do and ways that we can care for them. Um, that all comes from us just simply partnering with the school and wanting to see Jesus change their lives. Um, you know, we, we don't want to step on anybody's toes and throw the gospel at them, but man, we won't apologize for the joy that we have in Jesus. And that's what we do as Christians is we share the gospel. We simply share the treasure and the joy that we have in Jesus with others in our city. And so how that specifically looks in, uh, with our partnerships, well, we know as a church, we are incapable of starting anything new by ourselves and just saying, hey, we're going to do all this on our own. That's just way too much work. Um, you need to partner with people, churches, different ministries in the area to help do that. So a few different ways. Um, for example, Miracle Hill, they are a ministry that cares for um, families, uh, moms, dads, kids who are struggling with homelessness, um, those who are struggling with drug addiction. We're incapable of serving any of those needs. We're incapable of counseling people through that. But Miracle Hill does a great job. So we get to partner with them, and we get to have uh, both uh, men's uh, devotionals and women's devotionals, um, and people in our church get to step up and partake in that. And that is week in and week out. Um, you know, uh, Josh Hoover Dempsey is a, is a buddy who uh, serves at the rescue mission each Thursday with a Bible study. And I was like, man, we're coming up almost on three years. I think February or March is when we got plugged in in 2021, where we're consistently there each Thursday. And uh, you do that for a few weeks, and it doesn't seem like a lot of work. But after a few years, um, you see some of the same guys that are there, and you have built genuine relationships with them. You've been able to see God move in their life, and you've been able to hurt for them. The, the kitchen staff there, the way that we get to pour into them, and we even say the way that they get to pour into us. You know, there, there's times where I'm like, man, I get to go home and love my family better because of the encouragement that these men who are brothers in Christ give me. And so um, whoever we get to partner with in our city, it's, a, it's not just to check a box. It is because they are our mission. They are our purpose, whether it's legacy, whether it's Miracle Hill. Um, and then another thing, too, is I understand, man, we have really, really busy schedules. It, it is difficult for everybody to be involved with every partnership that we, that we, get, to, that we get to serve with. And so also uh, what is important is knowing that there are people in our church who care about different areas of life. 
Um, there are many families here who are uh, who are participate in foster care, who have adopted, and a couple of specific families like the the Burdens and the Picardies are kind of the, the 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 lead way on that. They're the ones that are taking that and charging with it. And uh, so, man, seeing them elevated in their ministry, coming beside them in any way that we get to serve them, um, that's something that we get to do as a church as well. Like this is our heartbeat. Is this is our mission? This isn't just one person's mission. This is all of our mission that we all get to participate in. And so even finding the different places where we get to serve in our city that might not be a partnership, um, man, our church, we get to come alongside that and we get to fan the flame of the ways that we get to serve the city. And this is our mission as a church. And so um, a few ways that I just want to uh, challenge uh, you guys and myself continuing on is in, in three different ways as we look at our purpose here in the city. And first, that is pray. Pray for our city. Um, Abby sends out uh, every month and throughout the, the month on social media and our prayer calendar. We have different ways where we can pray for our city. Different ways where we get to pray for our city and the things that are going on. That is most important. Like, believe it or not, we are in the midst of a spiritual warfare that is unseen, but it is in every conversation you're having with people. It's within every relationship that you're trying to build where the enemy is trying to do everything he can so they don't hear the gospel. So their eternity is not secure in Christ. And so combating that, first and foremost, is recognizing we're incapable of doing anything. I'm incapable of saving anybody. I'm incapable of doing anything good enough so that person can turn to Jesus. But Jesus is good enough. And so us in prayer for our partnerships, us in prayer for the opportunities and the conversations we get to have is, is the utmost importance. So number one is pray. Commit uh, to a life of ministry of prayer. Number two is serve. Find different ways that you can serve in our city, whether it's with our different partnerships, whether it's with other people who are serving, whether it's in foster care or something else. Find ways that we can help partner with our church family as we want to see this mission of God continue to take off in our city. And then thirdly is share. So pray, serve, and share. Man, share the joy that you have in Jesus with your neighbors. Share the joy you have in Jesus with your kids. Share the joy that you have in Jesus with that crazy umpire. Um, it's funny, uh, when Matthew said, you know, that, that, that one parent on Tuesday night yelling at an umpire, Becky's like, yep, that's me. That'll be me. So um, it, can be, it can be any of us. But, uh, um, man, pray, serve, and share. And I'll go back to the serve part, too. So serving doesn't just mean, uh, you know, physically being somewhere. Um, I, I want to encourage our church family to say, man, you guys are awesome when it comes to serving because um, whether you serve with your time, whether you serve with your money, your resources, we have such a great uh, surplus where we get to love and serve our city, even last-minute things. Quarterly, we try to give donuts to Greenville High School. So last week, Josh and I were able to go drop off donuts, and that's not cheap. But we're able to do those things. We're able to encourage the staff there. We're able to have conversations with them because of the ways that you guys serve. So thank you. So serving with our time, serving with our resources, and even serving with simple things like in our community groups, writing different encouragement notes on pumpkins. I'm sure you, our groups, you guys are like, man, why are we doing this? What's this all about? Don't worry, we're not just giving little pumpkin cutouts to teachers. We're actually putting those together with different care packages. So they're getting more than just a, a few words. But um, so many different ways that we get to be a part of the mission in our city um, is led out by by, our, by us, by the people. This is our mission. This is our ministry. And so I just want to encourage you guys in that as we get to continue to um, embark on this journey together and uh, see how God is going to continue to change the hearts and lives with the people that we live around. And so with that, um, man, I just 
I want to spend a few minutes and just pray for our city, pray for our partnerships, and then we have a few announcements and a benediction to close up. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we just thank you for this gift that we have, um, this gift in Jesus where we're free. We're free. We, we no longer have to try to work our way to earn your love. God, on our best days and on our worst days, you love us because of your commitment to us. Lord, the promise that you have given to us that those of us who place our faith in your son Jesus, who call upon his name, will be saved. So thank you, God, for this gift of salvation that we have in Jesus. Lord, I just I ask that um, our hearts would be challenged, but we, we would be encouraged and given... Uh, the boldness and the strength, God, to just love the areas in our life well. God, love our kids well in the house. Love our neighbors well. Love those in our life that are hard to love, Lord. Let our love for them, God, be louder than uh, the thoughts or the negative things that we have in our heart towards them, Lord. Allow the gospel to continue just to uh, saturate our hearts and our words and our minds as we get to love those who are far from you, God, and, and those in our city, I, I pray for our partnerships um, that have given us the ability to serve alongside of them, Lord. Some partnerships in our city that aren't necessarily a Christian ministry, but Lord, they have entrusted and they, they have trusted us as, as church, as a church family to go and serve them. God, help us be faithful in every aspect of that in serving our partnerships and uh, serving with our time, with our resources, God, serving with the way that we get to share the joy that we have in Jesus. Lord, I just I lift this city up. I pray that we would continue to commit ourselves to you, commit ourselves to those that we worship around in this downtown area. And uh, Lord, that your son Jesus would get all the glory and uh, our joy, our joy would be increased in all that we get to do for you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Commit this week, commit this week to continue to pray. Um, you can go online, you see on our, our website and uh, different, our different partnerships. Continue to pray for our partnerships. Continue to pray for them and commit to that this week. Uh, a few announcements. Uh, as soon as we head out of here at noon, noon o'clock, we have our Origins Kids Training. And that's going to be at Deneen, uh, Deneen.